Good morning, Beacon Church, and welcome to another Sunday on the sofa. So pleased you could join us. Um, this is uh, there's not going to be too many of these really in the next few weeks. We are planning to get back to vibe. If you're on the receiving end of the midweek update emails, you'll know that some of the details about dates and when that's happening. We're going to be commencing um, Pentecost, God willing. Uh, we're going to be alternating for a few weeks with Vibe and Zooms and then from the end of June to be full-time at Vibe. We understand it might be difficult for some people for a number of different reasons. We're doing what we can to accommodate as many people of different in different um, positions and and situations as we can, but, but we can't do everything, obviously. But we're doing what we can. We want to take that into consideration. If you have any major concerns, please do get in touch with us. But we're doing what we can to make it safe and to make it easy. Um, in the meantime, here we are on video still, and Pete Zabitsky will be um, preaching in just a moment during our Luke series. Um, before we do, I'm going to pray for us, but I just want to refer us to one verse from Psalm 63. That I, I, I just love, I love this verse. Psalm 63, verse 3, it says this, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Let me read that again. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. It's not because your steadfast love feels better than life or because I'm feeling your steadfast love that is better than life. No, it's just because your steadfast love is better than life, I will praise you. My lips will praise you. There is a place for us to recognise that no matter how we're feeling today, if we're feeling God's love over us or not, or if we feel that his love is steadfast and being better than life, or not, it doesn't change the fact that it is. And therefore, let's praise him. Whatever kind of a week you've had, whatever kind of a morning you've had, when you got up today, whether it's what you might consider to be a good day, a bad day, a better day, an in-between day, whatever it might be, regardless of how we feel, he is good, he is always good, and he loves us to bits and he's working his purposes regardless of how things might seem for for our good and for our benefit and for our flourishing. So let's revel in that. Let's praise him. And then as we come and sit under his word, let's see what he wants to say to us. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who who is always good, always will be good. You're unchangeable. You love us so much. We are your children through Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord. Because your steadfast love is better than life, our lips will praise you. We celebrate you. We love you. We thank you. As we now come to, to hear from your word, will you speak to us? Will you challenge us, provoke us, teach each of us to know what it is we need to do in response as an act of worship, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And over to Pete. Good morning, Beacon Church. Today we're going to be looking at the beginning of Luke 6 and the claim that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. First, we're going to hear from Luke 6, verses 1 to 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing that? It is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue 
and was teaching, and a man was there who was right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around them, all they said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So here in Luke 6, we see two stories about disagreements between Jesus and the Pharisees regarding the keeping of the Sabbath. They're included next to each other in all three synoptic Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark and Luke. And by placing them together, the Gospel authors draw our attention to Jesus' teaching about the Sabbath and his relationship to it. We're going to look at three main points today. The first is what was the Sabbath and why was it important? The second is the letter, the difference between the letter versus the spirit of the law. And the third is the identity of Jesus. So here's the outline of the story as it might seem to a modern reader. First, Jesus' disciples are walking through some fields and they're hungry. So they pick a few heads of grain, rub them together and eat them. These guys called the Pharisees get really cross about it. And then Jesus is in the synagogue and he actually miraculously heals this guy's shriveled hand. And again, this guy, this group of people called the Pharisees get really angry about it. Why? Well, the simple answer, which we can see in the text, is because Jesus did both of these things on the Sabbath day. But why was this such a problem for the Pharisees? Well, keeping the Sabbath was one of the laws that God gave the Jewish people through Moses after he had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. The Mosaic law was at the centre of the people's national identity. It was what set them apart from the other nations around them and it was integral to their relationship with their God. It was a big deal. And the Sabbath wasn't a minor detail. It was one of the Ten Commandments that stood at the heart of the law. It was the Fourth Commandment. The Fourth Commandment was to observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy As the Lord your God commanded you, for six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This commandment was so important that breaking it was punishable by death. This probably seems crazy to us, perhaps a very strict at least to the modern reader, but I'd like to consider it from a different perspective. We tend to think in individual terms. What are my rights? But the Sabbath was a gift to the whole Jewish community. It was essentially for the good of all the people, including the foreigners that lived among them and even their animals. When the Jewish people were in Egypt, they were slaves and they had to work non-stop. Constant work was a mark of their slavery to Pharaoh. After God had redeemed his people, the Sabbath was a mark for their freedom from slavery and their belonging to God. It was a day to rest and be restored, as they had not been able to do while they were slaves in Egypt. Everyone got to rest and have their strength replenished, even the animals and the land. 
It was also a day for the people to recognise their dependence on God and to trust him to provide, to recognise that Yahweh the Lord was God. In the Bible, Egypt, where Israel was slaves, and along with Babylon and Rome, is one of the archetypal world empires that stand opposed to God's kingdom. These empires are characterised by a perpetual thirst to dominate the world around them, which leads to slavery, oppression and constant turmoil, particularly for the poor and the defenceless. By contrast, God's kingdom is a place of justice that brings healing and restoration for all. It's a place in which there is respect for the healthy natural limits that God's put in place for the flourishing of everyone. J.R.R. Tolkien gets this across beautifully in his story, The Lord of the Rings. The servants of Sauron, the satanic arch-villain of the story, are always on the move. They're seemingly never at rest. They enslave people and they destroy nature in their thirst for dominion. In contrast, the company of Aragorn, the true king, does rest. Although they have to endure great hardship at times and sometimes they go long periods without sleep, they also stop when they need to and they care for the well-being of each other and also the world around them and those they meet. Egypt is a place of grinding slavery and constant production in which the poor, the needy, even the animals in the environment are all exploited. God's kingdom is a place of rest and flourishing for all. Which do we think is more like the society we live in? To stop his people becoming like Egypt, God draws a clear line in the sand and says you must stop and rest. This helps to maintain social justice and dignity for all. Instead of asking why is the Sabbath rule so strict, we could instead ask how perverse must our human hearts be that God has to command his people to rest on pain of death. The essence of faith is trusting God. Our natural inclination is not to trust him and instead to place ourselves at the centre of the universe to think I can't stop because all these things of my life depend on me. There's a kind of slavery in our hearts which drives us even when there are no physical slave drivers around us and only God can deliver us from this. So my first point there is that the Sabbath was a big deal. It was a big deal to the people Israel. My second point though is to look at the difference between the letter and the spirit of the law. If the Sabbath was so significant, weren't the Pharisees right to take it so seriously? And why does Jesus have a problem with their attitude towards the Sabbath? His answers to them are a little tricky to decipher, but we'll give it a go. So in the first story, Jesus' disciples pick some heads of grain on the Sabbath. They rub them and they eat them. We might think, well, it was a stealing. It wasn't. It was allowed under the law. But according to Jewish religious tradition, it was considered to be work and so was not allowed on the Sabbath day. Lots of people have pointed out that this interpretation of work did not come directly from the Torah, uh, but instead came from the Jewish tradition of interpretation. And there's certainly room to question whether Jesus' disciples were even breaking the letter of the law there. However, it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't actually answer the Pharisees at this level, and instead he refers to a scene from the Old Testament involving King David. This is the scene. David, the anointed king, was on the run from King Saul, who was an increasingly unjust and tyrannical ruler who was bent on assassinating him. In desperation, David entered the high priest's house and asked for something to eat. 
The high priest helped David by giving him ceremonial bread that was only lawful for the priests and their families to eat. And so this seems to be breaking the law, but Jesus appears to imply that David eating this bread was not actually wrong on this occasion. In the second scene we read in Luke, Jesus is in the synagogue and the Pharisees try to catch him out by seeing if he'll heal, heal this man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. Amazingly, they considered healing, even supernatural healing, to be work and therefore unlawful on the Sabbath. They had an exception in cases of life or death, but this wasn't one of those. And so they considered Jesus to be breaking the Sabbath by healing. Jesus knows their game. He knows what they're up to. So he asked the man, and he doesn't run away from it. He's not afraid. He asked the man to stand up in front of everyone and says to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Mark's account tells us, of this, Mark's account of the same events, tells us that Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, before saying to the man, stretch out your hand and healing him. One thing that these two passages have in common is that they involve some distinction between obeying the letter of the law and obeying the spirit of the law. The Pharisees were obsessed with keeping the letter of the law to the point where they often missed the bigger, the bigger picture and the spirit of what the law was meant to do. We've already seen that the Sabbath is a time for healing and restoration. And Jesus draws attention to this. In the second scene in the synagogue, he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? If the principle of the Sabbath is to bring restoration, then for the Pharisees to actively resist healing on the Sabbath is, ironically, a violation of the day. There appears to be something similar at work in the first story. It seems that Jesus is suggesting that David did not do wrong to eat the priestly bread, as it was necessary to preserve his life and the lives of his men. If the high priest had let David and his men starve rather than share the priestly bread, in a way he would have kept the law at one point by reserving the consecrated bread, but he also might have failed to keep the law at another point by not sharing what he had with the needy. So he chose rightly to share his bread. We can see the distinction between the letter and the spirit of the law through an everyday example, like the speed limit. The speed limit exists to preserve life and we should submit to it whether we like it or not. It's not lawful to say, for example, my boss will kill me if I'm late again, so I have to speed. However, there are situations when it might be right and in some cases might be even lawful for someone to break the speed limit in order to preserve life. So we can think of Steve in his paramedic days rushing a critically injured person to hospital. You can break the speed limit, but perfectly lawfully uh, in order to preserve the bigger meaning of the law. God does not want his people to have a purely legalistic relationship to his commandments and to obsess over keeping the letter of the law to the point where we miss out on the spirit of the law. He wants us to have his law written on, his, on our hearts like Jesus did so that we're able to discern what is good and right in each situation and to truly do his will. Just side note on this, that for us as evangelical and evangelical charismatics, I think we're at risk of two significant errors related to this point. The first might be to use the distinction between the letter and the spirit of the law as an excuse to just do as we please and avoid submitting to authority. To try to baptise our individualism into the church, if you like. 
Being led by the Spirit doesn't mean simply following our own whims or our own feelings and doing what we personally just think is all right. It involves discerning God's will and submitting to God's words in communion with other believers. The second danger is a almost a kind of opposite danger, if you like. Um, it's that we might think that because we're evangelicals and because we're charismatics, and we're not from more traditional denominations, that we're not religious or pharisaical. Uh, we might like to believe that we wouldn't raise our own traditions and our own interpretations to the level of authoritative truth like the Pharisees did. But I don't think this is true. I think this is a risk for all of us. Um, and we need to be open to having our own conceptions challenged by a fresh reading of God's word. So we've said that the Sabbath was really important for the Jewish people. But there was a distinction between the letter and the spirit of the law. And in the cases where the Pharisees challenged Jesus over his disciples' adherence and his adherence to the letter of the law, they were actually keeping the spirit of the law. But my third point is regarding the identity of Jesus. We've seen that the law of the Sabbath was for restoration and freedom, and also that there can be a distinction between the letter and the spirit of the law. The Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples of not keeping the law, according to their interpretation of it, but in both cases, they were performing actions which were in accord with the spirit of the day. But the passage we read also points to the identity of Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Firstly, he's the anointed king who will usher in the true Sabbath. The author and theologian Alistair Roberts notes the parallels between David and Jesus in this situation. David is the true king, leading a ragtag band of followers on a divine mission, and his followers need something to eat. Robert suggests that David's identity and mission give him a sort of divine prerogative in this situation, so that it is permissible for him and his followers to eat the consecrated bread. Jesus is the greater David, an anointed king leading his ragtag group of disciples around the countryside on a divine mission to establish God's kingdom. He has the authority to allow his followers to eat grain on the Sabbath if that is what they need to sustain them in their mission. As well as being about a particular day, the Sabbath rest was about God's people being established in their land and delivered from their enemies. David and his son Solomon achieved this more fully than any other Old Testament kings, and yet, even then, the people did not enjoy true and lasting rest. Jesus is the greater David, who through his life, death, resurrection, ascension and return, will usher in the true, eternal Sabbath rest for the people of God. Like Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, Jesus will defeat the forces of evil and destruction and claim the kingdom that belongs to him. And he will rule in a way that brings restoration and healing for all. He opens his arms to those who are weary of the slavery of Egypt and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is also the second Adam, the head of a new creation. In Mark's account of these events, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man was a title that Jesus used for himself. Through his life, death and resurrection, Jesus is the new representative head of the human race in place of Adam, and he's Lord of a renewed creation. The Sabbath, which was made for man, now belongs to him. 
And we who believe in him are born again into this new creation and have the law of God written on our hearts so that we are able to obey the spirit of the law. To summarise what I've said, the Sabbath is a day of rest for the restoration and the renewal of all. God wants to establish a kingdom of justice filled with people who obey the spirit of the law from their hearts. And finally, Jesus is the greater David and second Adam who establishes God's kingdom and brings in the true and lasting Sabbath. How can we apply this to our lives? I have a couple of suggestions. Firstly, if you're not a Christian and you're realising that you are living in the slavery and restlessness of Egypt, then I'd encourage you to turn to Jesus and ask him to receive you into his kingdom of rest and flourishing and freedom. This involves recognising his kingship, but it's a kingdom, it's a, it's a life-giving kingship that ultimately brings flourishing and restoration. Secondly, for those of us who are already citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we can seek to live in line with the values of this kingdom, particularly regarding the Sabbath. At a personal level, we should not live as slaves to consumerism, our jobs, the expectations of others, whatever it is. We can follow the healthy rhythms and the limits established by God for our good. We can make time for rest and worship. We can stop striving to control everything in our lives and we can trust that God is in control and that he provides for those who love him. And this is worshipful. But this also has implications for how we engage with the world around us. If the principle of the Sabbath is restoration and healing, if God's kingdom is a place of flourishing for all, then to keep the spirit of the Sabbath, I believe that we need to consider how our actions contribute to either destruction or the restoration of those around us. This is true at a spiritual level and our faithful witness and prayers are central to this. But it also goes further. Our consumerist society is in many ways like Egypt, Babylon and Rome, characterised by the exploitation of the poor and the vulnerable in order to increase the wealth of the rich and powerful. By world standards, we are the rich. As citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we need to consider how our actions affect the well-being of the people who produce the goods in our home, the animals that we eat at our table, and even the environment that God has given mankind to steward. We are not under the law, if the law of God is written on our hearts, then we will be desiring and seeking the well-being of all. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Tremendous stuff. Yes. Uh, firstly, we must rest. <laughs> there is something in our hearts, as, as Pete pointed out, across human society, there is something in us that needs to be addressed. And maybe we just need to ask the question, what, what do I need to do about that? What do we need to do about that when it comes to rest? Do we have the right rhythm in place that honours God and honours his control and not our, our desire to be in control of everything? Um, let's do, if need be, let's just reflect upon that and address it. If necessary, we need to change our work-life balance or whatever that might mean. But let's also endeavour to ensure that we are the people who are led in relationship with Holy Spirit and not by a religious adherence to rules. Uh, that doesn't mean individualism and chucking stuff out and going with the Spirit. He is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And he's a God of unity and us working together as well. So let's seek what that means and let's hear Holy Spirit's nudges when necessary. And let's live a life that honours 
him is not centered around us but is centered around Jesus let's let's do that as a people let's work out what that means during our growth groups this week let's, uh, let's endeavor to to search deeper beneath this um, together and work out how to step further forward into it together if you if you don't know Jesus that we, like we're talking about please do get in touch we'd love to talk with you pray with you just it's this place just to recognize Jesus as true the true king where we can find restoration and flourishing in their truest form. Uh, his steadfast love is better than life. Don't miss out. May you have a blessed week. Songs are attached to the Vimeo, uh, and we're going to be singing in the Zoom as well. But let's celebrate him, and let's let that continue through our week. Amen. Have a great one.